0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Rough Cut Retrospective episode 174. I am one of your hosts, Jackson Meheron. Hi, how are you? Hope you're doing well. And uh, alongside me, he believes fish should be served with its head. It's Carter Sims. Hi, Carter.
1: He owns the police. How was that? I don't know. Amazing. That was great. It was either that or a bad Nicholson impression. So I picked the latter. How are you? I'm
0: doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing uh excellent. I'm excited to dig into a an oldie but a goodie today. Mm-hmm. A, a 50 year anniversary, I think that we're covering today. Very yeah. exciting stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh should be good. Um we're doing an RCR top 100. Uh but we have a little announcement. We're bringing on a new official permanent host. Oh. Unless he doesn't want to do it anymore, but until then he's permanent. Uh he's rich. Do you understand? He thinks he can get away with anything. It's Jeffrey Brown.
2: Burn. <laughs> that's that's the horn. Oh, that's the horn. That oh, my incredible. goodness. That, oh, wow. That Faye Dunway hits Amazing. with. After she's shot in the head. You'll shoot hey, your guys. eye out. Hey. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, happy to be a part of the fold here until you guys kick me out. Um, love doing the pod. I'm excited to talk some Chinatown. Yeah. Amazing,
0: uh, yeah. As mentioned, we are we are covering Chinatown. Roman Polanski should be good. Unlike Roman Polanski, but uh, until
1: then, Carter, tell me something,
0: boy. Tell me something,
1: boy. I like how you left that. Like until then, like until Roman Polanski is not a good guy anymore. Or <laughs> yeah, is exactly. A good guy. I love it. Um, t- uh, <laughs> I was uh into a lot this week. Um mm-hmm. continuing on our best picture winner journey with uh me and Lauren, uh, we watched Nomad Land, fired that up. Cool. Last weekend. Uh she thought it was quite boring. So she's kind of right. Up.
0: It's it's right. not it's not um, the most entertaining movie.
1: It's not. Uh just a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of deep messages and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we're also like twenty minutes in. She's like, I think I've seen this. So oh. uh so anyway, <laughs> she watched it during COVID, uh, as did I. Uh, it's still solid. I still like it. Uh, great movie. Uh, speaking of great movies, Madam Webb I checked out. Oh yeah. Um, boy Jackson.
0: Um, <laughs> mm. It is so awesome. It's so, <laughs> so so bad. I love it.
1: It was uh yeah. So I went by myself because Lauren refused to go. Wise on her. She would have liked it though. I think she would have like. I told her like it'll be a terrible movie, and we know that going in. But also, I was like, it can't be really be that bad. It it really is that bad. Morbius (laughs) is better. Um, Uh, I'd rather
0: rewatch Madam Web than rewatch Morbius. Really? Uh, I think the rewatchability is there.
1: At least Morbius has like some batshit wacky action sequences.
0: The action is better in Morbius. Like, well, there is no No doubt, Madam Web. Yeah, there's literally she hits a a Spider-Man guy with like a car twice. Twice, (laughs) and he gets crushed by a Pepsi sign. Good stuff. Like that's kind of it. It's Um, awesome
1: the worst ADR I've ever really I've bad seen in a major studio movie. Yeah. Um, just all in all, just a whole thing is a meme. It, like It looks like a movie, but I don't think anyone's trying. Uh, can,
0: can I add one more thing too, that I forgot to may. mention last time when I talked about it, mm-hmm. the marketing is like, the whole thing is like, this is a sexy movie with all these sexy actresses. And like, that's kind of like what the discourse was. And then suddenly, like, it was kind of, like, this weird eu- euphoria moment where, like, all the people who they were talking about how sexy they are, it's like, oh, their characters are, like, 17 or 16. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's weird. Why are we promoting it this way? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah.
2: Are they? It's like, are, like, Sydney Sweeney and all them, are, did I read that they're only in, like, dream sequences? They're not even actually in the, the movie. they
1: their they're, costumes. Yeah. yeah. With uh, powers.
0: With that they powers. never explain how they get the powers at any point in the, like... They're yeah. just regular people for the rest of the movie, but
1: first of all, sorry. So sorry if anyone's listening that didn't want Madam web spoilers, but too bad, you know, here we are. You've been on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just really poor, really rough time. Um, then I checked out driveway dolls. Um, this was fine. Um, it's very clear that like the Coen's only create this like charming, unique thing together. Like Joel makes tragedy of Macbeth, which is very serious and straightforward. Mm-hmm. And, and, and pretty brutalistic. And then driveway dolls is really zany. And a lot of times doesn't know when to like reel it in. So I think the two of them together, like create that perfect little magical blend. Uh, this one was kind of like all over the place. It was fun. I laughed out loud. It was a good time. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend it, I guess to, to check out. Uh, and then finally, uh, Lauren and I started a new show. We were checking out shrinking on Apple TV plus.
0: Ooh. Did Davey um, wear you down?
1: You know, no, But he did always, he does always tell us, like, watch Mm -hmm. Shrinking. Actually, Lauren was the one who was like, let's watch this. Because I told her I'd watched too much bad stuff this week. um, So I needed to watch something good. And she was like, this looks good. Let's do this. So we checked out Shrinking. We're almost done. It's lovely. It's a good time. Jason Segel, Harrison Ford. Good combo. They're really great off play off together. Harrison Ford, who's
2: been in basically, you know, Blade Runner, um, Rage of the Lost Ark and A New Hope said that Shrinking is the best script he's ever read. <laughs> which is what great. a guy. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> he's good in it. He's really good. Maybe at- he doesn't read the
0: scripts of the other movies that he's been in. Yeah. Maybe that's why.
1: What can you do? Mm-hmm. He uh, he didn't mention Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's rough. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho, that's what I've been into. What about you, uh, Jackson?
0: Yeah. So uh, not a lot of movies this week. Uh, just been busy. Uh but we have continued the Better Call Saul binge. We're Mm. one season in and it's I totally get it. I get why it needs to exist and it is um it has a lot to say and it's great character uh lore expansions, I guess. If you're if you're a big fan of Breaking Bad, totally worth checking out. Zero Um, Emmy Wins. Yeah. Tragic (laughs) because it's it's some of the best acting. I think the acting in it is like better than what we got in Breaking Bad, uh, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, in lieu of the live action avatar, the last airbender, we've just been chugging along with the animated rewatch and it's been great.
1: Is that out of spite? You're not checking it out or. Yeah. It just doesn't it?
0: look great. I, I mean, maybe I'll get to it just because I want to see Danny Pudi, uh, who is like from community and stuff. Like oh, yeah. he, he's in it. I kind of want to see his scenes, but like, I'm not really super motivated to check it, it out right now. From what I've seen, the, the reception seems kind of poor
1: yeah feels middling i think right yeah it's good oh Although, have
2: you been watching I, it oh let's I, just go over to you. i've only seen the first episode okay uh, but i really enjoyed it i haven't seen the entirety of the animated series so i'm not a disciple like jack says and
0: that's that's why you gotta um, watch the the og
2: but i think if you like just take it for what it is it's pretty fun um the, the cgi at times is corny and mm-hmm. they overuse slow mo. So if you do give it mm-hmm. a try, like when they're doing the the like actual bending, they like overdo the slow mo to kind of accentuate mm-hmm. the fact that the Earth is moving. But you're like, go faster, be brutal. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: it's yeah. got to be better than Shyamalan. It, it is okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's it a
2: middle ground. Looks, it looks and feels authentic in terms of like just the production design mm-hmm. and the way it's lit. Feels like it's an animated show being adapted. Um, I don't know. And where the where the Shamaline tried to do the dark gritty thing that was like super popular at the time and still is. Yeah. This this acknowledges that it's a cartoon in you Yeah, you should, style, yeah, you should
0: totally try to do like a maybe finish one and then go back and watch like the first season of the animated show and like kind of compare yeah. because I think yeah. I think you'd you'd like it. Um yeah, what else are you into,
2: Jeff? Um slow a little bit of a slow week for me. Um I watched Killing Them Softly, hmm. the uh, Uh, brad pitt Pitt. like gangster film and it Mm -hmm. was fucking horrible mates woof Um, it was (laughs) not a fan have either of you seen it no No, i haven't no no i'm like just don't like it's it's really boring (laughs) they're trying to be like tarantino in terms of style like there's this this scene where like people are driving and they're just chatting and it's very tarantino like but it's without any of his style charm or skill Mm -hmm. um yeah it sucks Uh, ah
1: from the director that brought us blonde
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah that
1: yes and he has
2: another movie about jesse james that oh some jesse recommend. james is good yeah Yeah. so i actually do want to check that out but um you'll yeah, like that it was, that. You'll it was like a that. total drag Tough. um um anyway i watched anyone but you um that was absolute dog shit garbage
1: did steph love it she
2: loved it i yeah. think she, although i do think i think she scaled it back to three stars oh okay uh, for her. but she had a ton of fun with it she just likes the like how it felt like a 2002 rom com, certainly, but um, I think she compared it to How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, like in terms of style. But mm-hmm. that had a, a fun Kate Hudson and a fun Matthew McConaughey, and this had a Glenn Powell trying to commit to the bit, but it never got to me even once. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't laugh. Um, Sydney Sweeney's great.
0: Is he not the comedic actor we hoped he'd be for like a potential like booster gold type role, or is he just kind of meh?
2: I've never had read- it in him. Oh, no. but I I he's got some chops. Like okay. I don't I don't think he's trash but he was not good in this. Mm. And they didn't have for how much chemistry they had on the press tour, I wasn't feeling that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, and he just looks like a capybara. Like I something about him gives <laughs> something about him gives me the ick. I just don't like him. I didn't like Tom Top Gun. Um and I didn't like I him. loved him in Top Gun. Oh man. Capybara. Yeah, That's great. Well, we're gonna, we'll so see funny. him
1: in uh Hitman at some point this year. Some yeah, later I in action. June,
2: which I am excited for that The reviews for that were good um, nice. And then finally I watched Priscilla Which was also kind of a drag um, It made me I've never seen Baz Luhrmann's Elvis And mm-hmm. it made me want to watch that Because I was like It seems like Elvis is kind of doing all the fun stuff <laughs> And we're just watching this chick while
1: she's home alone For 45 minutes of screen time They um, do sad They skirt over the child bride stuff in Elvis I will give you that Yeah, uh, It's very yeah. heavily covered in Priscilla Yes. And, and it was honestly disgusting. Like,
2: like having a, I'm going to sound like as a, as a father to a daughter, but oh, like, here we go. Like, but like, like I have a sister who's 13 and it was just so preposterous to think that somebody like that, she would just like go get married, let alone to anybody, but a celebrity, like to go to his house with yeah. one is just absolutely insane to me. And I left in my review that Elvis is an absolute scumbag. And obviously this is a very one-sided telling of the story, but um, he was not portrayed in a very favorable light and it left a pretty gross taste in my mouth. Um but Jacob Elordi is honestly really good in it. Um, yeah, he is good. But anyway, um three pretty, pretty hard oh. to get through films for me. Okay.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: Great week.
2: Okay.
0: Well, if you want a fourth <laughs> one, you should check out Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I like Elvis. I like oof, Elvis. Oof. I was not a fan.
1: Something about
2: Bohemian Rhapsody gave me the pick on musical yeah. biopics. Yeah, so, yeah, they
1: just haven't I been. Check out Rocketman. Rocket, A-O. Man. Rocket Man's it. good. I like Rocket Man. Yeah. Um, but Rocket Man's good. I'm going on a tangent. Then we can move on. Rocket Man is good because it fits the style and the storytelling of the the person that they're trying to cover. Like it's very whimsical and fun and outlandish, like Elton John. That's why. That's why that yeah. works. Bohemian Rhapsody is, uh. No comment. We've talked about <laughs> Rami Malik many times on the show. Great guy. Bad performance. Good, good Oppenheimer. Good Oppenheimer. Great mm-hmm. stuff. Anyway, I digress. Jackson, I'm throwing back to you. Get me off it.
0: Yeah, let's move into I'm ready for my close-up. All right,
2: Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up.
0: So as we've discussed, uh, today we are talking about Roman Polanski's 1974 release of Chinatown.
1: Uh, Mrs. Mulray, may I present Mr. Giddes. Mrs. Mulray, how do you do? My husband, I believe, is seeing another woman. Do you know her? I think I would have remembered. I... Have we ever met? She tells me she's you, she hires me. Now, whoever put her up to it doesn't have anything against me. They're out to get your husband. If I can see him, I can help him. It's nothing personal, Mrs. Mulray. It's very personal. It couldn't be more personal. You've got a nasty
0: reputation, Mr. Gibbs. I like that. It seems like half the city is trying to
2: cover it all up, which is fine by me. But Mrs. Mulray, I goddamn near lost my nose. And I like it. And I still think that you're hiding something. Wanna know more
0: about you. You may think you know what you're dealing with.
2: But believe me, you don't. That's what the district attorney used to tell me in Chinatown.
0: Uh Polanski, of course, famous for many things uh that we'll we will get into. Uh, but other movies including Rosemary's Baby and the Pianist?
1: The Pianist? Pianist. The penis? Um, the pianist,
2: gotcha.
0: um, and then of course written by Robert Town, who uh, kind of notorious script doctor, who like kind of worked on like some of the famous ones like Bonnie and Clyde and The Godfather, like fixing some stuff up. But also, uh, he wrote Mission Impossible one and two, which I found to be kind of interesting. What a guy. Um, I don't really like one or two, if I'm being honest. But one the first one's good. the first one's good. It's just not on the scale of any of the other ones. For, two, two is, two is two. definitely two is the, not good.
1: The least of the, the it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a right. snooze
0: fest. Um, And the first one's kind of a snooze fest, too. I think the, the repelling scene is cinema, like pure cinema. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But a lot of stuff around the first one I'm not really into either. Fair. Um, yeah, let me give you a log line And one of the best taglines ever. I'm super excited to share that. But the logline, a private detective hired to expose an adulterer in 1930s Los Angeles finds himself caught up in a web of deceit, corruption, and murder. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the tagline, though, guys, this was so good. Whoever came up with this needs 10 raises. It's you get tough, you get tender, you get close to each other.
1: Maybe you even get close to the truth.
0: Oh, that's good. That's a
1: good tagline. Anyways, What if I told you Roman Polanski wrote it? (sighs) There's no way.
0: Um, Anyways, (laughs) Uh, starring Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunway, John Huston, Perry Lopez, John Hillerman, Daryl Zwellering, and James Hong who needs a shout out because he was way low on the credit list but I cl- I clocked him immediately and was like super excited to see him in this um that dude has like a billion uh IMDB credits it's it's kind of crazy hell yeah um with a box office budget uh of 6 million dollars and a worldwide box office of 29.2 million dollars um and uh yeah when it was the first time you guys saw this
1: movie um this was a this was one that I can't remember if I watched it before this, but we watched it in a screenwriting class in college. Like this was always touted as, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but this was always touted as like, this is the best screenplay that's ever been put to screen. And that was what our screenwriting professor taught us. Mm -hmm. So we watched it in that lens. Um, And I don't honestly know if I would watched it since. So it's been probably a good five years since I've Mm -hmm. revisited Chinatown. Um, What about you, Jeff? Is this a one on heavy rotation for you? I know you're a big fan. Um, not heavy rotation This is actually the
2: first time I've revisited it from the first time I watched it. Um, I've watched snippets of it in the past, just like, you know, for inspiration and for storytelling devices, um, especially the first act, I think does some things really cleverly if that's a word. Um, but yeah, I was almost exactly five years ago. Um, it was, I think February, 2019 was when I was watching a, in a film studies class in college, right before we went home for. COVID. So no, wait, that would have been
0: 2020.
2: <gasps> mm, been four years. Um, but yeah, yeah, the similar, similar vibe to Carter. It was this is the greatest script ever. Also heard Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is the greatest script ever. But
1: we um, watched that one too in that same great. class. So we did it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that movie's trash, but
2: um Whoa. But <laughs> hold on. <laughs> but Chinatown's incredible, and yeah, this is the first time I've I've watched it, and um, it was honestly better the second time, just knowing. Mm-hmm. Knowing what the story was, I thought the first time it was a little hard to track, so I enjoyed it more the second time when I already kind of knew it was coming. But what about you, Jacks? Have you have you seen this more than once?
0: Uh, no, this is uh, this is or yes, I guess this is uh, the second time I've seen it. Uh, I also watched it in a film class uh, in college. Uh, shout us. out to Wes. Uh, we had yes. the same guy, me and Jeff, uh, who Jeff described at one point as like Arthur Fleck from The Joker, if he just grew up to be a film teacher instead and it's it's so astute it's like really freaky actually um cool guy though um weird guy but cool guy uh shout out to him uh yeah like kind of the same thing uh this was really good on rewatch for me just because uh the chekhov's gun of it all i think like sets up so many things that i never caught before and they're kind of brilliant and i'm really excited to talk about those in a little bit Woo! yeah um shall we move on to great scott right and uh, kind of dig into our little time capsule. Uh, I'm going to break down 1974 and 1937 just because uh, the film was released and where it took place. So I think mm. uh, kind of interesting stuff. Uh, so Chinatown was released on June 20th, 1974. Uh, other popular movies released this year include Blazing Saddles, The Godfather Part Two, The Great Gatsby, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Young Frankenstein. A lot of fun stuff there. I think um, Mel Gibson
1: year. That yeah, was, totally. Or Mel Gibson, Mel Brooks, Jesus. I
0: knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. <laughs> uh, uh, some music. Uh, we got Band uh, on the Run by Paul McCartney and the Wings uh, uh, on the Billboard Top 100. And then as far as current events go, uh, this is the year of the Watergate tapes for Nixon, like uh, in April. And then also, this fact I found to be very disturbing. This is the beginning of the Ted Bundy murders on like the West coast, like from 1974 to 1978 is when he does his like serial killing spree. So like, this is around the time when it's starting, Hmm. uh, not really relevant, but just kind of something I, I found kind of, uh, not fun, but interesting.
1: Ted Bundy, always relevant Jackson. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
0: and then going to 1937, uh, this is just kind of a weird, a weird fact. Uh, this is like the year that Amelia Earhart disappeared into the Pacific ocean. Uh, this is the year of the German airship, the Hindenburg. Uh, did you know where it exploded, if you had to guess?
1: Um, Pennsylvania. Kind of close.
0: It's New Jersey, of all Ooh. places. Kind of weird. Uh, never knew that. Uh, this is the year that Snow White premieres, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, this is also the year that J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit was published. And this is the year that the Golden Gate Bridge was open to the public. So that's kind of cool too. Mm. Um, I was looking at, uh, at, at some point in the movie, they talked about like the price of something. I forget if it was like for a day's wage or or mm. something silly like that. So I looked up what the rent was uh, in 1937 and it was $26 a month, mm. which uh, equated to like like for inflation to today – was still only $568 which is like not that bad at all like I I'd, I'd kill for for rent prices like that pretty nice and yeah. then the average cost of a new house was $4100 which equates to about $89,000 today still way cheaper uh <laughs> than uh what we got going on right now take me
1: back yeah. to 1937 exactly
0: those were the days um going into the pre-production uh Ah, uh, the producer Robert Evans offered town one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars to write a screenplay for the Great Gatsby, which ironically came out like the same year that this movie did. Uh, somebody it. else did it. um, but he felt that he could not do better than F. Scott Fitzgerald. like like he he could not like master the the screenplay in a way better than the book did it. Um, so instead, he asked for twenty five thousand dollars to write Chinatown or and to make Chinatown. So um, he agreed. Wow and uh town had originally hoped to also direct it but it it kind of went uh the other way after he took the money uh he lost control of the project's future a little bit um so so yeah i thought that was kind of cool um chinatown is set in 1937 and, and portrays the manipulation of a critical municipal resource water and uh it is the first part of this planned trilogy that they were going to do, uh, like with this, uh, the story and the character of Gitz, mm. uh, is that you say his name? Getes, um, and so like there was like the second movie that kind of came out in when did that release actually? Like Nin- nineteen ninety, yeah, in the nineties, yeah. Nicholson directed this other movie that was like the sequel. Oh. uh it was called The Two Jakes, and then uh, I have no idea. Yeah, so, so it was going to be instead of water, uh, they're going for oil or something. Did you see it, Jeff?
2: Yeah, it's real estate. Oh, okay. But I think, yeah, I think it's tied to oil. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I think they're, yeah. Whole, whole plot of- and conspiracy around getting real estate for oil control. Gotcha. Okay. It's um, not as good, but it is good, Carter. If you're
0: it is considered a commercial and critical failure and it destroyed the future plans for this uh, third movie that was going to be called Gettys versus Gettys. Um, can I, read, be... can I read Can I read the yeah, log?
1: I just want to read the tagline for The Two Jakes. Yeah, go for it. They say money makes the world go round, but sex was invented before money.
0: That's <laughs> not nearly as good, but that's hilarious. <laughs> that's uh, incredible. So,
2: do you know do you have it was the screenwriter Robert Towns was he? Did he do The Two Jakes too? Uh, yeah, I think he it was. was his
0: like yeah, it's his it was his trilogy that he wanted to do. Um so Nicholson directed it. And right. it was just, like, such a flop that they didn't even bother with the third one, I guess, uh, unfortunately. Um, and then I got some other really interesting info here. Uh, Hollis Mulray, the guy who is the the water engineer. What is, what is his official title, I guess?
1: Um, he was deputy, some kind of deputy in the water company.
0: He's high up. He knows how to, to do that stuff. Um, he was loosely based off of this guy named William Mulholland. Um, who kind of has like a similar story? Like he wasn't murdered or anything, uh, to my knowledge. Allegedly. Um, but like in like the early 1900s, like 30 years before this movie was set, uh, he like had a similar issue of like water diverting, and like he he noticed it and like helped fix it. But it wasn't anything nearly as dramatic. However, something in his professional career was almost more dramatic, which I, I find really interesting. Uh he approved a shoddy dam during an inspect an inspection and then consequently the dam burst and like four hundred and fifty people were killed like in the same day that he approved the dam. And uh it's the second highest math- mass death in California from a single event, which I think is like really interesting. Obviously it like destroyed his career. Um and but, that yeah. is
1: in the movie. That he talks about that in this first uh gotcha, okay. Yeah. When he's talking when he's talking to the like in the front of the board when Mm -hmm. Getty goes and watches them talk. So that does carry over. That's neat. That's cool.
0: Yeah, but just kind of kind of wild uh stuff about that. Um then I figured uh we should probably talk about Roman Polanski really quick. So let's just get it out of the way. Um Well one, first of all, I I Looking into his life, he has he had a hard life. Like there's there's no doubt about that. Like he, oh, my. no, I I just <laughs> it's interesting context. It's interesting context. Uh huh. Uh, you know, like he was uh, a Jewish uh, boy growing up in, I I just during the Holocaust, and his his parents were like killed in the Holocaust. Um, he had to like flee and like live with other people, Or he was like abused pretty severely. Um, and then of course, like, you know, like the famous, like Sharon Tate, like his wife was murdered from like the Manson cult. I'm not saying that like, definitely like a huge scumbag. That's just interesting backstory to like the type of person, um, that he is. But let me just get into like the case, uh, that kind of came out three years after the release of this movie, which is kind of crazy. So it's pretty close to this time, like still hot off of the success of this. Um, but when he was 43, he was arrested and charged in Los Angeles with six offenses against a 13-year-old girl, um, which is pretty gross. He the the charges are like unlawful intercourse with a minor, like some I don't I don't want to get into all of it. It's pretty gross. Yeah, um, gross stuff. But with with a minor, um, Polanski pleaded not guilty, but later accepted a plea bargain, which would like dismiss a bunch of the really serious ones, and then he in exchange he. Did a guilty plea for engaging in unlawful sexual intercourse with a minor. Still gross. Still really bad. I don't know why people are acting like the the wording of of the source was kind of weird on that. But um, then of course he fled the the United States and has not been back uh, since then. Uh, because he thought he was going to be you know sentenced to some jail time. Um, and he mostly lives in France now, and he doesn't visit any countries that are likely to extradite him to the United States. And um,
1: which because- is weird. If I just may add, despite all of that and all that baggage that he carries, the Academy still did award him an Oscar in two thousand and two yeah. for the pianist. um crazy. Which, I mean, I guess it's thinking in the Academy's minds, as you said, Jackson, he like escaped the Holocaust, and obviously that's a tale about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. so maybe they thought, oh well, we'll uplift him and like give him this award, but yeah. A really, truly bizarre thing that happened. Yeah. And if you've seen Rush Hour 3, um, which I did as a child, he plays the cab driver in that movie, <laughs> which is a jump scare Insane. nowadays. I mean,
2: do you, do you guys think like, obviously, there's all sorts of examples of art versus artists, right? Mm-hmm. Like, whether it be, you know, Bill Cosby or Kevin Spacey and all those other creepy weirdos, mm-hmm. uh, horrific people. Like, do you think it's the role of the Academy to, like, be value-based like that? Like, mm. it's one thing for him to get a standing ovation. It's another thing to say, yeah, that was the best movie, objectively. You know what I mean?
0: I totally do know what you mean. And yeah. it's really hard for a situation like this where he's, like... he Like, I don't know. It's way different. Like, he he's, like... He admitted to doing it, and he left the country to avoid his, like, paying for his crime. So it's not like he, like was absolved of his crimes like did his sentence or whatever and like was able to come back into the world like that'd be one thing even then i'd still be like kind of weird about it but like i don't know I mean, like
2: it don't get me wrong them them giving him a standing ovation like insane Yeah, hero it is is where you kind of draw the line in terms of what's acceptable what's not but like i just wonder if if it truly was the best movie that year if they just ignore it because one of the artists behind it has a
0: and I mean, I guess it gets to the point of like this is like a a committee vote, and like obviously, like the people in the industry like really liked him and supported him like there was that big petition that went around where like tons of basically everyone who you like at some point like signed this petition to like mm-hmm. i don't know to in support of him uh something I sent to you guys and doing the research too is this like really weird Tarantino interview where like how a like, time came out, yeah. Yeah, is like is pushing him on on this point of like, what do you think of the of the murder or, or not of the murders of the uh, like uh, the charges and stuff. And he's kind of like saying it wasn't a big deal. She was into it. It was like this really gross thing. That's, gross. Like not, it, that's yeah. not what happened at all. Like in the situation, like he uh, apparently in, like invited this 13 year old over to do like a photo shoot. And then like he asked her to be nude and she was clearly uncomfortable. And then he drugged her. Like it's it's very gross stuff. Yeah. Um, and the way that Tarantino talks I get why he's doing that because like he just made a movie where he got to use the rights of his story like I get why he's doing it but it's like not okay that he's doing that at all um, Yeah, and and he, we were talking about like the art for the artist like with people like Tarantino and stuff like for having those views on like this case but like do you guys think that he had those views because he directly benefited from Polanski in that situation too like that is kind of like a a weird thing that i thought about after we talked about it
1: yeah it's just like a i don't know because we we talked about that tarantino has always just been a, a weird guy like he writes yeah. into his movies like i want to say the n-word in this movie like he, mm-hmm. he just he does that so he's mm-hmm. not the most politically correct guy so i mean i could buy where he truly does it's it may be kind of both like there's something in the back of his mind where he does like Be like, I believe it. And like, this is an artist and we shouldn't like have a witch hunt for artists. That feels like a Tarantino thing to say. Yeah. Um, But despite all that, I I mean, I can still, I know that video we watched was like, boycott Tarantino's movies. And like, I will just, just to the whole point and why we're talking about Chinatown today to bring it all back. I will always be able to watch art and separate that from my Mm -hmm. mind while watching it. It doesn't take away from the art I'm watching, but it is obviously... You have to keep it in mind that this dude was a horrific guy.
0: So. And honestly, I think if anything, it kind of adds to some of the creative choices at times. Like, obviously, like he didn't write the movie, but like mm-hmm. the way that like, like abuses is, is uh, personified in it, personified or, in this film. It's, it's very haunty, haunted, and, and I feel like he's he's a weird guy. Like, I don't know, like maybe that is a sort of lens to contextualize his actions in some way through his art. I don't know. Just something to, to think about, I guess, when we talk about this. Very strange. But yeah, Jeff, do you concur
2: about Tarantino? 100%. Just anything. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I think if it was somebody like who had a decent track record of being a normal person in society and kind of had a, a weird moment in an interview where he kind of sold out a little bit, you mm-hmm. kind of weigh everything together. But um, it is so in line with all the other weird stuff we so know about weird. him. He's a weirdo. Um, that it's, yeah, I 100% buy that that he, he was, uh, eating what he was selling. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with Carter in terms of digesting art. I it's, you know, you always just kind of obviously another giant example of this is like Harry Potter and JK Rowling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like I love Harry Potter. Um, and I want to, I want to see the movies and I want to go to the theme park and I want to buy the wand, but it's like, she directly profits from it so i'm like i'm making her life better by participating she gets so a
0: lot of money from all that stuff it's kind of I mean, crazy yeah,
2: not that she needs my 12 dollars for a butterbeer anyway but like <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it it's almost like sometimes i wonder like is it is it morally less gray to digest that stuff after they have passed on mm. Mm. but yeah like, i don't i don't know either neither here nor there Mormon Planski's still still with us for better or for worse right now anyway and is one of my favorite movies so I don't know how to what happens that, but um what happens <laughs> I would not say that he's off the hook by any stretch of the imagination
0: Mm-mm. if we also, ever I see wonder, him
2: I wonder like why I oughta. Just, like just pure curiosity how long the Jail sentence would have been like had he just sucked up and done thirteen years, and it would have been over forty years ago if everybody would have moved on. Oh well, or...
1: knowing Hollywood, he'd be back in the director's chair. Like... Well, I
0: mean, he's he's already right. living the best life he could possibly live without having to do jail. Also, so he kind of got the best <laughs> of both worlds by just getting the hell out. Like he yeah. he didn't have to do a sentence, and everyone gave him a st- standing ovation when he won his Oscar. So, I mean, huh. I guess he. For him, he seems to have made the best decision for him because he reaped all the benefits and did none of the consequences. So, weird guy. Anyways, you did it. Congratulations.
2: You did it. Congratulations.
1: Guys, what works about Chinatown? I'll just want to start with like just the overall... um, uh, And I can kind of throw to Jeff here because Jeff's been on this noir tear where -hmm. he's been watching a bunch of noir movies. And I feel like... This movie, it comes at like the perfect time where like sometimes you'll watch and Jeff can probably attest to this. You'll sometimes watch 40s noir movies and find them a little slow, boring at times, mm-hmm. very slow burns. And then you'll watch a movie that's come out in like in from the 90s on that tries to be a noir that kind of pays homage to it. And it feels somewhat hacky and a little bloated trying to do it. I feel like Chinatown is like perfectly in the middle of like Paying homage to noir, but making it its own thing. Like when you think of noir, you think of like people like narrating like what they're doing and like mm-hmm. walking around and the the jazzy music and all that. I feel like this fits perfectly in the middle where it has aged perfectly because it's in between two kind of eras of of noirness in, in mm-hmm. the movies. Um but yeah, and I, I don't know if you can attest to that, Jeff, because you've been watching a lot of noir movies lately, but this one definitely feels way more exciting than any noir movie of like the 40s or 50s
2: yeah i mean it blows third man out of the fucking water <laughs> <laughs> um shout out to my haters but yeah i think i think i do think this is the greatest noir film ever made and it's technically a neo-noir yeah game. um yeah. but i think i mean if you talk about like if you boil the genre down to its concentrated parts like the fatalism is its defining quality mm-hmm. um and this I think I would say better than any movie that's trying to be part of the genre nails that. Like it just makes you feel like shit, mm-hmm. and it works so good. Like it, you, like you feel like shit in the best way possible. And there have been other movies that have come close, like, um, like Out of the Past or In a Lonely Place. Like some of these other iconic ones are kind of go there, but it, because it's part of that seventies, like I don't, I'm not going to use all the bright film terms here but it's kind of like got that brutalism like that the a clockwork orange feel where it's not afraid to take a heavy swing and be kind of graphic and shocking yeah that 40s movie probably would have shied away from to an extent um it can kind of just it can drag you down farther than any of those classic movies can oh, so, really? yeah, I totally agree with you carter
1: yeah it just feels like the 70s were just like in general just a way more experimental and gritty time where you could just put out any kind of art house type feel today, but it would like make money. And like, those were the successful movies at the box office and the ones that made the awards, like it had both going for it. So yeah, I totally, I totally wanted to, to put a pin in that. Um, Just in terms of the script, the pacing of this movie is incredible. Mm -hmm. Just moves so effortlessly. Like you're, you go from just like you're investigating a scene and then you're learning information and then there's a shocking discovery and you just, it moves on to the next logical conclusion. Like, so it's well. a lot of
0: information too. Like it does it pretty seamlessly as far yeah. as like letting the audience stay uh, like on board where a lot of noir films tend to put you in the shadows for such a long time. And then like in the last 10 minutes, you know, everything it's like, Oh, okay, cool. But like it, it, it strings you along with, with Jake and you're kind of up to pace with what's going on up until, till everything.
1: I thought I read that was like a, A major script change that they went about some point in the process where like you only discovered all of it like Mm -hmm. at the end, like you didn't like you weren't with Jake for the whole ride. Like you were learning things that Jake didn't know.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you you mentioned like talking about how like it kind of blends the the types of noir that we see um, and at one point they did plan to do like the discovery a little bit differently and they also planned to do a uh, voiceover with Jack Nicholson but then they decided to go against that. And I think that was a good good call great, for decision. great decision. Great um, decision. Yeah, cuz I think it it feels very much its own while still homaging all this great stuff that came before it too.
2: 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. Jack, well they because you're with Jack Nicholson for literally every scene and you're figuring out as he does like occasionally they'll pause like right when I felt like I was starting to kind of lose how everything was fitting together in a puzzle, mm-hmm. he would explain it to somebody. In like layman's he would, turns. And, yeah. Right. He would grab Faye Dunaway by the arm and be like, you don't understand. They're trying to go after the water. And you're yeah. like, oh, I'm back because of the water. You know? <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's like one of my favorite things about like these movies. I've talked about it before And like in lawyer movies mostly, or like and like Wall Street movies. Like you talk about these big ideas and concepts and this jargon I don't really understand. But you're just in on the ride like you're you know you're in good hands because you know you're with a good script and like mm-hmm. you know it'll all come together even though it's like confounding and confusing and like the best way possible. Just so many little twists and turns in the movie at every turn and it's it's just it's lovely big fan.
0: Um, I do want to say building off of like talking about like how Jake is kind of like the POV character he's obviously like in all the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. and like just the way that he discovers information is really cool, but the way they like blend the filmmaking and how like the over the shoulder shots, like follow him through like in these long takes or like if he's zooming in on a camera, like sometimes like the camera does this like parallax, what, what is it where like, it kind of like zooms out and zooms in at the same time, like pushes oh, in. The, and, the, it, it's very the jaws, disorienting. The yeah. Jaws effect, yeah. They yep. do some cool stuff, um, with that. Um, just some amazing POV shots in general. Um, want to really quick shout out the shot it is my maybe my favorite shot of the whole movie where it's him spying on uh mulray and the sister and it's the reflection in the camera lens like i just think it's it's so pretty and it just looks great and it's such a creative way to do that um i think it's great
2: oh yeah in the moment i kind of have one of those leonardo dicaprio like (laughs) moments with that shot because i forgot it was in there and i totally agree with you jacks it's brilliant like And I was thinking, do you think that that is in frame or is that film over film? That's a great question. I feel like it has
0: has. to be some sort of like editing magic to get exactly what they want because it's so clear. Like I don't think it's it's so in focus. Yeah, Yeah. it would have to be. I wish I did more research on that specific shot, too, because like that it probably was at the time, like obviously shot in film and then like recut cut together to to blend Uh, in with it.
2: Probably just cut a circle for his lenses and then layered the. Shot it's of so cool. Under his film. That's yeah. a great shot. Yeah. It's
1: awesome. I do want to shout out just, and we'll probably get to him later, but I just do want to shout out Nicholson. Who's like mm-hmm. on a tear in the seventies, but he's great. Like, he just plays so smarmy and like, you know exactly who this guy is. Like he litters, he throws his matches in the lakes. Like, you, like, you know exactly who this guy is. He's not really redeemable in many ways. Like, mm-hmm. but he's like, you're, he's your POV character. And like, this just, corrupt and morally ambiguous, cynical town. And it's and also
0: just like so brilliant. Like he he has all these like he's so private investigator tricks yeah. where he like keeps these business cards and he keeps handing them out like as he goes through the story to get get past guards or or talk to other people and stuff. Using
1: the stopwatch to yeah. put under his tire so great. No, that, time I loved it. It. There are like
2: two or three moments of like where he's gum shooting around and you're like oh my god that's the most clever thing I've ever seen. The other one like the the tail light he goes. He knows how to follow her in the night um that was awesome rips out
1: the records with the he asks for the ruler rips out the records Mm -hmm. in the record book yeah he's he's pretty good pretty good at what he does Mm -hmm. um
2: and i I like how he has moments and i mean obviously his performance to the role is incredible like i you can't say enough about it uh but like the character itself like is is really intriguing too obviously he's kind of he's got He's kind of scumbag adjacent, Mm -hmm. but he has moments of high integrity that kind of like wrap you in and root for him. Um, Like even when he is willing to go fight that guy who kind of questioned his honor as if he had sold out to the paper, Mm -hmm. um, he just on a moment's moment is like, I'll beat the shit out of you if you say that again. (laughs) Um, You're like, okay, this guy cares about his reputation and Mm -hmm. how he interacts in the world um, when none of the other characters really do
1: um i just i did want to shout out just the iconic imagery of jake with the nose bandage i just think Mm -hmm. that is there's just some things that are just iconic and when you see it you're like oh yeah chinatown
0: well yeah let's talk about like the sequence that leads to that where he is you know like he's where he shouldn't be he's jumping over uh like some fences to, Mm to get some details and roman polanski with a little jump scare shows up the midget, um, as he's called yes yeah, so right? he's referred to uh and then he p- he puts this knife in his nose and like slices it up and it's all practical and it's really cool and it's the really blood cool. comes out and it's it's a great shot i think it it works really well um and then abby of course was like is he gonna wear a bandage for the rest of the movie and i was like yeah kind of like he, he right. changes out of it but for most of it he's got that big ass bandage on his nose
1: it's great stuff the the,
2: the, the sequence be- right before he gets his nose cut when he's getting pounded against the fence with the rushing water behind him that mm-hmm, made yeah. my heart spike a little bit and it looked i mean that did nothing about that felt like movie magic mm-hmm. it looked like he was climbing out of a certain death situation <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he just climbs the fence <laughs> it was awesome ridiculous right. um I think, sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i i don't want to go without talking about the score yes uh, it's great it's yes it is yeah i mean Every adjective in the book. I mean, it is. It's so especially the the opening trumpet that there's kind of motifs of it throughout. But it's not really that. We you already use the word swarmy, and that's now stuck in my head. But I feel like that's a pretty accurate feeling the movie kind of gives you. You're welcome. Uh, but like that during the opening credits, that like haunting trumpet. It just feels that is the most noir sound that's ever noir in the history of noir. <laughs> yes. Um, it makes you. It's just feels so thematically correct. Um, yeah and then it has moments where it gets really tense with like um you know whether it's like a a really high pitch like string right at the perfect moment um, I don't know it it really contributed to a lot of you know, kind of heart in your throat kind of moments,
1: totally Jerry goldsmith, shout out mm-hmm. shout
0: out um, I do want to talk about. Kind of just like the theme of the ending, I guess, of like sometimes evil wins and sometimes mm-hmm. there's like not much you can do. Um, there's two quotes. Uh, I mean, obviously that, that we'll talk about in a little bit, but I'll just I'll just say one of them now of that's kind of set up in the beginning of let sleeping dogs lie is, is something that Jake mentions mm-hmm. um, to one of his clients. And and it's just kind of this like theme throughout the story of, you know, you you have this hero this hero character of Jake, who's trying to take things into his hands and do the right thing. Um, obviously for selfish reasons at times, but also like, because he, he has, uh, he has something to prove, I guess, uh, as being this corrupted cop who, who left the force and who, who understands what, what Chinatown is like and what the police is like, uh, in dealing with, with that situation and stuff. um, but I kind of really quick wanted to contrast it to to a movie we've talked about on here before, Carter, of uh, the Mr. Smith goes to Washington where you have this hero force who stands up to to evil um, mm-hmm. and wins. And and like you have this like pure character who who does the right thing every time. And in the face of evil, you you know, you can come out on top. And, and this is a more uh, realistic uh, take, I guess, on that, where. Uh, the heroes aren't always squeaky clean, and they don't always win. Also, and I, I just think that's just kind of a really nice uh twist on on a story like this that I enjoy.
1: It it just it goes back to Jeff's point where like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, mm-hmm. 30s, 40s, optimism, you mm-hmm. know, and then you get to the 70s, grungy, realistic, mm-hmm. hitting you in the face with the truth. So. Yeah. It's just like pretty ambiguous ending. Cause like, you don't know, like if he's even going to recover from it, if he's going to do mm-hmm. anything about it and, you know, cross gets away with his da- daughter slash granddaughter. Oh, there's balloons on my screen for some reason. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, like you said, you hit the nail on the head, tough ending, but great. Mm-hmm. Ending. Yeah.
2: First of all, the balloons on the screen with the FaceTime that happened to me during a client call when I was telling them we were pushing their go live and the, like the customer was pissed at me and I was doing one of these and then balloons floated over me like I was celebrating.
1: Anyway, interesting. Um, we learned something today.
2: Yeah, the fatalism like it it that is why I I do think this is the greatest noir neo noir film ever because it it that is like the other defining quality of what makes a crime drama noir is that sense of. Had the hero just never been involved in the first place, everybody would have been better off because I mean, yeah, he figures it out, but like who gained from that? Really nobody other Mm -hmm. than him just having that satisfaction. I mean, people ended up dead because of his involvement. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And ultimately the bad guy gets exactly what he wanted anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, had, had Jake just not bothered um, it would have been a better outcome. Which or even if, even if that.
0: he did the right thing, still, but also didn't let his ego get in the way. There are multiple times where he could have saved everybody and gotten the story out if he just played it a little bit like safer mm-hmm. and not so close to the chest. Um, but mm-hmm. of course, like he confronts um, the antagonist of the film, who is perfect, by the way, as far as like being a bad guy. And I think we do need to talk about just like this guy who you don't even see for most of the film, but he is just plotting and he's 10 steps ahead of everybody. And, and Jake doesn't realize it and he gets cocky multiple times and it, and it obviously doesn't work out for him. And at, just at the end, just knowing that, um, what's his name again? I'm trying to think of the time. No, cross. 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 Yeah. cross is just going to, uh, he's going to live another day. He's got his daughter. Um, and he, he won. I mean, there's, 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 yeah. yeah.
2: Like he he didn't even get shot in the chest, he got, I think, he got shot in the arm. Yeah, it's like he's gonna be fine. Yeah, I do think that's a good point, Jax, in terms of like the had Jake played it differently Mm because there were moments where he would be with the cops, Mm -hmm. and I would, I was kind of like rooting for him to just tell him everything he knows because it it all lined up pretty like it wasn't a hard thing to explain, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it all just plays back beautifully into his backstory of he has he's got no confidence or trust Mm -hmm. that. The cops are going to do the right thing. So what's the point? Um, yeah. yeah.
1: And just the added, the added wrinkle just for fun, just like having John Houston cast in that role, who's honestly, obviously an iconic director, like the African queen treasures, of Sierra Madre, Maltese Falcons. Like, so having someone who's like been in the genre playing that character is, is just very inspired. I love when directors turn actor in movies. And he does it pretty well here. So even yeah. Roman Lansky <laughs> as the tough. criminal and no, and rush hour three as the, <laughs> oh, oh, the cab driver again. Yes.
2: Uh, awesome. Yeah. He, he looks, he looks and sounds and feels like an old rich, arrogant asshole. Yeah. He's, like, right. yeah.
0: he's scary. Yeah. Oh, it's, he's intense. Uh, do you guys sad. have anything else or should we throw it to favorite scene?
1: Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I just the last thing I just want to mention is just the turn. Like you can't imagine this movie gets more fucked up than it becomes, and it does. Mm-hmm. So I just yeah. and that just goes with the brutalism and fatalism again. So yeah, we can opt a favorite scene.
0: Jeff, what do you got? What's your favorite scene?
1: Um, it was kind of hard to pick one because I, I don't few. think there's
2: really a defining scene. I think the the most obvious there's two that came to mind as I was prepping for the episode. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the scene in Chinatown at the end. <laughs> Evelyn.
0: You're a disturbed woman. You cannot hope to provide.
2: Evelyn, put that gun away. Let the police handle this. He owns the police.
0: Get away
1: from her. You'll have to kill me first.
2: Get away. Get. A- <laughs> Captain, close the door. <laughs> halt. Um, is. Is easy to call a favorite just because it's everything converging. It's feels the way they shoot it. It's very unlike, like it's like has a handheld feel. Like it feels it's, anxious. It's super. You know I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like all everybody's moving really fast. Next thing you know, Noah Cross is running to the car to grab the daughter by the arm and pull her out of the car. It's like, like you just you you want everybody to slow down and talk about it real quick, and mm-hmm. they just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the the ending just being the chef's kiss on everything in the movie. The other than that, um, the scenes—I don't—or the sequencing of him following Mulray at the beginning, where he's—you wow. you kind of see him in full detective mode yeah. uh, before he realizes a lot else is going on. Um, And then one other shout out: his his scene where he is having lunch with Cross. Yeah, um, it's it's scary. It's, it's fun. awesome. It's fun. Yeah. Sorry, I just took like three scenes. No, that's that's player. that's totally what fine. we do,
1: man. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Carter? I I, I do want to shout out that lunch with cross scene because I just wrote down an iconic line. Politicians, ugly buildings and whores all get respectable if they last long enough. Great (laughs) quote. Love that line. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I agree. The final scene is definitely kind of probably the big honest one. Mm -hmm. I have down, not it's again, favorite is the wrong word, but just where the kind of the full movie comes into picture is the she's my sister and my daughter Mm -hmm. reveal. Good. What's her name? Catherine. Catherine who? She's my daughter.
2: I said I want the truth.
0: She's my sister. She's
2: my daughter. My sister, my daughter. I said I want the truth! She's
1: my sister and my daughter. Uh, when he she go he goes over to the house. Now we'll talk about her, his decision to slap her a couple times and maybe what could have been better later. But, um, mm-hmm. just the like just that being just dropped on you, and like there's really no like pageantry around it. She just like says it. I feel like you'd watch a movie like this in the old days, and that the stinger would drop. and then there'd be like this big musical cue would be like, ah! but yeah. it just like it just sits with you because, like, it's just like a thing like no one really overreacts to it and you're just like wow this is this is really shitty mm-hmm. so that scene is just very jarring and like you finding out the truth and the crux of it all is really mm-hmm. uh really powerful um yeah what about you Jax?
0: yeah uh all of those i i totally agree i do want to just talk about the horn finale uh which is what i'm calling it which is just one of the best like i, I don't know if this is in the script or if this is like a director's choice or or, or what but the uh just the choice to like not show like her dying right away, but like just to allude to it with like the horn sound and like the, I Abby gasped while watching it, which was like super satisfying for me. Cause it is like a, a gaspable moment of like piecing it together and being like, Oh my God, that's, that's horrific. Yeah. Um, but I really wanted to talk about this because on the second viewing, they establish and allude to her dying that way in the beginning of the movie where she's talking with Jake and she's like exhausted and she rests her head on the steering wheel and it, she honks the horn. I just think yeah. that's that's great. That's just such a good like Chekhov's gun with all that. And I, I just needed to talk about that. But oh, yeah. Um Yeah. Do you guys want to talk about some favorite quotes you got?
1: Yes. Uh Before that, I just want to quickly shout out the Orange Grove shootout scene as well. Mm, yes. Just the camera movement in that scene. It's is- great phenomenal just sitting in the car with him when he's backing up and driving yeah. through those groves is really cool
0: really pretty too just um, great yeah it's awesome
1: um favorite quote um i'm just going to pick the one that kind of sums up the movie cuz it's pretty nice uh middle of a drought and the water commissioner drowns <laughs> only in LA love that quote by the more awesome. guy who's just coughing up a storm uh-huh. great guy that's that's my quote uh what about you jeff i don't know if i have one in particular
2: Carter, you've already pulled two that I'm like, damn, I should have thought of that. But I think obviously forget it, Jake, it's China- Chinatown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It Perfect. Too. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the the top ten one out of the out of the hat. That's as fine. Said, Jack's think on the think on the flag.
0: Um yeah, I wanna shout out uh the quote As little as possible. Um, which is again Set up in the beginning of the movie and comes together really good at the end. Um, of course, he's kind of joking around the first time talking about him doing as little as possible whenever he was a cop doing the beat in Chinatown. But then, of course, as we learn how corrupt everything is and how uh, downtrodden stuff becomes, uh, he he mumbles it to himself uh, after uh, Faye Dunway's character, you know, uh, dies. Mm. And so we have this uh just him mumbling it to himself like as a reference to like there's really nothing i can do like he he already t- he, like whenever they say forget it jake it's it's chinatown like he's already told himself it's nothing he doesn't know um and he just feels powerless in that situation i just think that's just pretty cool writing and a great little comeback and also i just really want to shout out when he's talking to that drunk guy who's like there to figure out like why his water got uh shut off and he's like uh Uh, where he's like how'd you find out like you don't drink it you don't take a bath in it maybe they sent you a letter Uh, but then you'd have to be able to read (laughs)
1: like just like (laughs) he's got some zingers man he's got
0: some zingers man he's good Uh, there's also the point where uh, Lieutenant Escobar is like how'd you get past the guard and he goes well to to tell you the truth I lied a little and I just think that's Mm -hmm. great
1: yeah that's great
2: there's two that I thought of while you're talking and I want to participate so (laughs) one of them I I love uh, um, the moment where The guy is looking at his nose is like, does it hurt? And he goes, only when I breathe. Great. (laughs) Um, I I laughed out loud at that one. And then the other one in relation to his nose, when one of the police detectives asked, what happened to your nose? Get a somebody slammed a bedroom window on it. And he said, nope, your wife got excited.
0: Nope, your wife got excited. She crossed her legs a little too quick. You understand what I mean, pal?
2: (laughs) Yeah, awesome. She crossed her legs a little too quick. You know what I mean, pal? (laughs) Um, Great, great comeback.
0: What a guy Um, Houston we have a problem Houston we have a problem uh, What maybe doesn't Hold up as well on rewatch
1: For you guys um, The Chinese portrayals Yeah Um, They're rough and I guess You know Kind of this whole misunderstanding And the way they talk is kind of The biggest MacGuffin in the movie How they kind of discover the glasses in the pond yeah um but i get it you know it was the 30s so i can see that like it being played off that like these are the stereotypes that were probably Mm -hmm. happening back then we always have those in these movies but it still doesn't make it any less hard to watch when they're calling them Chinamen and yeah things like that so that that hasn't aged particularly well but it does fit the setting that you described earlier jackson so there's that um like bad for the glass is just that's that's a little rough um it's a little on the nose um uh what about you jeff i can throw to you i have a few more but i'll throw to you if you have any others
2: yeah the one that i i kind of had was and you kind of mentioned it earlier carter about when he slaps faye dunway around um Mm -hmm. it just was it was disappointing and you see that a lot in the in the 40s noir films like that is not uncommon that the hero slaps around the femme fatale Um, and every single time it's you just feel really gross about it because yeah that's just that that is just zero percent socially acceptable anymore maybe it was in the 40s and you have the sean connery interviews
1: (laughs) i just give a good slapping and yeah right like like maybe that
2: maybe that was our grandparents generation way of dealing with things but like every single time you see it it's it's jarring and shocking and and kind of gross Mm -hmm. and it's felt that way here because he had kind of set himself up the whole movie of not being that guy and yeah. kind of being yeah. the one like that. I just felt like there were, there were more comp- I don't know if more compelling, but better ways to go about him kind of getting serious with her mm-hmm. than you know, resorting to domestic violence. So,
1: um, yeah, there's there. Yeah. That doesn't work out well. There's also like on top of the, the Chinese stereotypes, like, for some reason, the like offhand Jewish hate of this retirement home they go to. Like, do you accept yeah. people of the Jewish? That was pretty persuasion? wild. Yeah. He was like, no, we don't. He's like, well, good. My dad doesn't like him either. I'm just asking. I was like, and, that and was I so hate, out of pocket. And he hates them
2: enough. He wants to see everyone who lives there just to make sure. <laughs> Yeah, it was that
0: was, brutal. was that him just like leaning into it, like as his character to do the investigative work, or was it also something that he genuinely believed as a character? Who knows? Maybe it's um, explained
1: in the two Jakes.
0: Maybe <laughs> <laughs> still a little weird, but yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: um, I also just wanted to shout out as well, and I don't know if this is me retroactively acknowledging this is a trope, so like my prejudice is coming in bef- by it, but. Telling an embarrassing story slash joke and then turning around to see the person behind you and you're embarrassed by it. Um, I don't know if maybe this was the first time it happened or like just I've seen so many copycats of it in modern day that it it like felt hokey to me. Mm-hmm. But he just goes for a long time about this Chinaman joke and he, boy, he milks it. Um, and it wasn't funny. No, it wasn't like, funny, but he like laughs even, his ass off. It right.
2: You, even if you're suspending the disbelief of, okay, I'm, this is going to be offensive, but let's see the humor in it. Like it still wasn't. Yeah. Like it, it didn't even pay off. I don't, yeah, I, I agree. Carter. It was, yeah, not.
0: Yeah. I think it works more as like a, like just like a character defining moment for who he is and like how he views the world a little bit. And obviously like that's informed in like the way he views um like the, the Chinese, like Like servants around the house and how like it, like, uh, eventually just prevented him from you know solving the case faster.
1: Yep, agreed. I think that's, I think that's all I really have. Uh, Just a note when they when he finally kisses her, uh, Faye Dunaway's character like gross makeout. Like she's got blood all over his face from his stitches. Like that was a that was (laughs) quite a bold play on her part. Um, that's all I got. Um, do you guys have anything else that didn't bring (laughs) up? Think no, we're good. I mean, and Roman Polanski could have been better. Yeah. And Ro-
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the terms of like what could have been better, like almost none of those are I mean, other than the hokey joke. Like, it's just it's so like it's so cool to have something that, you know, we're not poking holes in the story, we're not poking holes in the performance or the score or the way it was shot. Like yeah. it's all just like it's weirdly dated stuff. And it was a movie, movie made in a weird time, about a weird time by weird people. So like <laughs> yeah. Um and to only have three or four of those moments is still kind of honestly weird given all those pieces together, but yeah.
1: Pretty good movie. Sweet
0: Sweet movie. Let's move on to you like me. You really like me. And
1: I can't deny the fact
0: that you like me right now. You like me. Uh, Let's talk awards, uh, Oscar noms. We got 11 best picture, best actor, best actress uh, in the lead roles, obviously Mm -hmm. director, cinematography, art slash set direction, costume design sound editing music slash original score and then of course it won for best writing uh original screenplay for robert town pretty exciting there um golden Odie. uh who you guys
1: giving a golden odie to or to what i guess (laughs) i'm i'm giving mine to robert town nice um just again best screenplay Mm -hmm. one of the best screenplays ever um and also just want to shout out, I feel like this would have stood a good chance of winning all those awards if it hadn't run into the Godfather part two mm-hmm. this year. So um yeah, I'm gonna go Robert Town for my Odie. That's nice, Jeff.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Carter. I was looking through the the uh the Oscar wins that year, and it was a pretty stacked year. I do think I'm not giving my Odie to him because um it's kind of like giving the MVP to michael jordan you could just do it every year
1: but <laughs> obviously
2: nicholson's incredible yeah. i think he should have won the real oscar that year it was some guy named art carney for harry and tonto yeah
1: that's a, um, that hasn't aged well yeah
2: mm. i mean you could have given it to nicholson or pacino but anyway um yeah my old i gold going to be for the score i nice. think it wraps up the, wraps up the whole movie. makes it that That feeling like shit that I love so much with this movie, um, I think the score (laughs) is the icing on that cake. So that's my movie. What about you, Jax?
0: I'm going to give mine to just best POV shots. And I do want to take a moment because I have a new thought on the the handheld shot at the end of the movie. It's kind of a different take on how we've been filming uh, Jack Nicholson throughout this. And it's kind of like handheld. The camera's been taken away from his perspective and we're seeing his reaction to him kind of being powerless. And I feel like the way that that filmmaking works uh like in that in that process in that scene like kind of uh Mm. makes like kind of just emphasizes that feeling and i think that's just awesome um yeah any squeakers for me i'm just gonna go ahead and say roman polanski i don't know what you guys got but what do you got jeff
2: yeah i was gonna so this is like our Razzie kind of a thing yeah yeah i'm gonna go with the cadaver penis you see (laughs) <laughs> uh, about thirty minutes
1: into the movie, that was pretty jarring. That's great. <laughs> what about uh, you, Bert? I'm I'm giving mine uh, my squeaker to this specific police officer, um, who when when Jake goes to Ida's house and finds her dead, and they're mm-hmm. they're like chilling. First of all, they're hiding in there for some reason, like waiting. It's such for a him.
0: weird scene. Yeah, um, like they're like staking out this dead body to see if he shows up.
1: But they come in and they and it's the exchange you already mentioned about like the about what's wrong with your nose and then like he gives the the zinger the the guy says like what's wrong with your nose and this cop goes like "Ah like the most belly biggest belly (laughs) laugh you've ever heard and then when jake comes back with the retort he just like makes this little derp face like oh but he doesn't say it and i'm just like what is this guy doing and then also when they're at the drain it's the guy who walks away and just does like this to jake flicks his nose he's -hmm. just like very he, he just needs to be background scenery but he's really like milking his five minutes so i'm I'm gonna give him the squeaker, nonetheless. Um, but Roman Polanski, lifetime squeaker achievement mm-hmm. award.
2: Yeah, he's a on this. He's on the squeaker Mount Rushmore. I would say. Good for him.
0: Oh, I just thought of a, another squeaker. That guy who's also in Rocky who beats his wife after he hires... Oh, Burt yeah. Young. Yeah. yeah.
1: I had him written down because also his performance is really weird at the beginning. It is pretty weird. He's but grabbing he's, the shades I, and going... I really
0: dislike him in Rocky also. So, like, maybe just asshole. don't. Yeah. yeah, like, his characters aren't, aren't super great, guys. They aren't very uh, redeeming, no. Yeah.
2: It, Good call. It is an, it's an... It's an "quote unquote" interesting Chekhov's gun mm-hmm. when they come when they go back go back to him. to him, yeah. And it's a mini Chekhov's gun with her with the black eye, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which I guess plays for the era and for all that sort of thing. But like, it was kind of weird though. That- <laughs> he like calls to his wife. This is the guy who busted you for cheating on me. I (laughs) punched you in the mouth or the eye. Like it was just kind of weird that he would like be that joking about it all. I guess if
0: you wanted to look at it, like maybe it shows like the negative consequences to, to like Jake's work and how, um, I don't know, just like the negative stuff. And obviously it gets way worse than that. So I don't know, maybe that's just kind of in its own way, that type of thing. But
2: I I buy that for sure.
0: Um, should we move on to, uh, surely you can't be serious. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Yar. I got some trivia for you. Uh, we talked about, of course, uh, the scene where Jack Nicholson is slapping Faye Dunaway and she got, she got annoyed and she told him to actually slap her. And so he did and he felt really bad about it. And it made the movie. So the one that you're seeing is him actually like slapping the shit out of her uh per her request. Um and yeah, yeah it, it's it's a powerful scene. So I think they, you know, they they got the mission completed, I guess. Um oh, I call Sean
2: Connery what a Daniel Day Lewis to that thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my gosh. Um at the time of filming, Jack Nicholson was just starting to date uh Angelica Houston or Huston Houston Houston, Houston uh, who yeah. Uh, of course, with John Huston as uh, her, her father, who is uh, Noah Cross in the movie, um, you have these scenes with the characters of, like, did you sleep with my daughter? And, like, it's it's a little more layered and, and heavy in that sense, I guess. That's fun. Because uh, they had just started dating. Um, at one point, Roman Polanski and Jack Nicholson got into such a heated argument that Pol- uh, Polanski smashed Nicholson's portable television with a mop. Uh, and that's because he was watching a shit ton of Lakers games and like delaying a lot of the production
1: stuff. Listen, uh, if you were on the fence about Polanski before, this you is know. the damning,
2: this is the nail in the coffin. Yeah. And barring any kind of cancelable offense that I'm not
1: aware of for Jack Nicholson, what a cool as fuck guy. <laughs> He's the, you know the, what I mean? always at Lakers games. He's dedicated to the craft. He used to be just like the celebrity. He would show up yeah. to Lakers games and that's kind of all he does now. But what a guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, Faye Dunaway and Roman Polanski also notorious got into a bunch of arguments maybe there's a common denominator mm. here of who is just terrible um, but Polanski pulled out some of her hair uh, during filming like Jesus. while they were fighting and on another occasion when she asked him what her character's motivation was he exploded and said quote just say the fucking words your salary is your motivation uh, <laughs> just a shitty guy in general. Um, That's this so one,
2: Mad Men coded,
0: yeah, literally. <laughs> uh, this is maybe my favorite fact I learned finding. Uh, for this movie. Uh, L.A.'s original Chinatown was demolished between 1933 and 1936 to make way for Union Station. The current Chinatown, located a few blocks away, opened in 1938. So the only time that L.A. had no official Chinatown was in 1937, the year in which this film takes place. And I think that's just hilarious and great. Um, I like that. That's such a weird fact, uh, but I love that. Um, at the end of the film, when Jake says, give me five minutes, there are exactly five minutes left in the film. Um, and yeah. Oh, the, the music that, that we got, gave the golden Odie to, of course, uh, was written and recorded in just 10 days, which mm. I think is pretty neat.
1: Goldsmith and, goat. mm mm-hmm.
0: And then finally, uh... The the movies line, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown was voted as the number seventy-four movie quote by American Film Institute. So out of a hundred, it was number seventy
1: four. Nice. The yeah, year it came, came out. out. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. Uh Bechtel test. Jeff, does this pass the Bechtel test? No. It does not. No.
2: No. I was thinking the only time I think even two women interact is Faye Dunway and her daughter, but I don't they think don't. she
0: really has any line like they're just kind of like Not really wrestling. you don't even see
1: them talk really
0: yeah yeah um
1: Tough. rick dalton meme test hell
0: that doesn't yeah. pass oh like, yeah baby like hell yeah, brother.
1: Times, yeah. Mm-hmm. in the most iconic uh, way perhaps
0: yeah mm-hmm. true maybe yeah this honestly is maybe like the king of rick dalton meme tests uh passings like i feel like this is maybe like the best uh name grab You didn't like when they
1: said you really have an eternal sunshine in your spotless mind.
0: (laughs) That did not happen. Um, Perfect script ever. (laughs) Hey, man, that's number one on our ranked, So we'll we'll have to get into that. Well, we're about to
1: talk about it.
2: I was going to say one one more iconic Rick Dalton that I always love is when Bob Odenkirk shows up and says, my little women. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look at my little women. All right, let's move on
0: to what's in the box.
1: What's in the box? Uh,
0: You guys got some uh,
1: letterbox reviews for us? Yes, I do. Um, I've got one. I've got two. Four stars from Marcy Webb. Uh, Watching this on International Women's Day was a mistake. Great quote. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, And then another four star from Anna. Uh, I enjoyed the movie Chinatown. Very ahead of its time to have no director. That's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> that's
2: great too Bye what about you I got one um, I can't say their username don't know how to pronounce it but they have a, to a photo so respect nice. it's four stars and a heart and it says it's no who framed Roger Rabbit but I appreciate the reimagining <laughs> Although the new adult ending was pretty yucky and weird since the, that kind of stuff never happens and I feel, wait, I'm sorry, you said what about the directors? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Amazing. That's awesome. Oh, that's so good. Uh, I got one from Brad Boy. This is four stars and a heart and it says, I swear I could watch Jack Nicholson take a shit for two hours and I'd be like, what a performance.
2: True. <laughs> uh, Very true. <laughs> yes. And
0: then this one from uh, when, maybe one of I, I hope this isn't their real last name, but Megan Bitchel. Uh, and it says, uh, all these years I've been saying, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown, only to find out it wasn't a comedic line, <laughs> which is just <laughs> awesome, too. Um, yeah, so th- that's what I got. Uh, ranking, where where do you guys want to rank this on our RCR top
1: 100? Well, um, it feels near the top. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at our list. Um, well, let me start maybe. I feel like it's top 10. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's start from ten and like go all the way up and just think and just do it. Um. Better than Interstellar.
2: Uh y- Yeah.
1: Yeah. Me. It's tough.
0: Like these are all. I think we're in like the. These are all like the five star movies.
1: Yeah. Potentially. Mm-hmm. For me. Um. At least. Y- yes. Um. I gave this. I gave Chinatown four and a half.
0: Mm, okay. I gave it um, five.
2: What'd you give okay. it, Jeff? I gave it five. Okay. It's, what do you have above? You have nine better than Interstellar already. We've
1: got in this order: at nine, American Psycho; at eight, La La Land; at seven, Psycho; at six, Everything Everywhere; at five, Dead Poet Society; at four, Fargo; three, Jurassic Park; two, The Shining; and one, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm.
2: So mm, we're gonna like have
1: that. we're gonna have some contention. Um, but is it better than American Psycho? Yeah. I don't know. I kind of
0: I really like American Psycho too. I do uh, too. I can move it above it. La
1: La Lam. I think very it's better than di- La Two La La very La different, Land. different movies about La I know that's like course.
0: Jeff's like favorite movie of all time.
1: I could go there. I could go there. You could get it there. Okay. Uh, above Psycho. Ooh. Ooh, now we're Psycho's getting, so good. We're getting heavy now. I think I th- it's better. Than I think it's better than Psycho also. I love it. Everything everywhere all at once. Again. It- these are like movies.
0: impossible movies to <laughs> compare. I want to say yes. I think the script is awesome. And yeah, I think it's great. Dead Poets Society. I fucking love Dead Poets Society. I <laughs> I, I, this might have to be my, my stopping point, I is think. Is this where we stop? It, it can go above if you want. Uh, I, I will I say I it gave much further,
1: though. I gave Dead Poets Society. I'm a, it's a five-star movie for me, Dead Poets. I'm trying to count a four and a half, but I don't know. What do you think, um, Jeff? I
2: would probably give it a four and a half. I would prefer Chinatown, but that's just my style of movie. I like it Um mm-hmm. But I I could I could reasonably see those being equal or splitting hairs enough that it, it would be okay with that one being above Chinatown. Let's
1: leave it here then. Uh, cool. A number six. I like it. Pretty good standing. Great. Good. We've got 32 movies on the docket now. Um... I will say it's way better than The Shining. But
0: Ooh, you're not a shining guy, which is no, so weird. To I give shining. Well, I
1: think. now that we have Jeff in the fold, we might have to have a, do like a bonus episode where we just completely reshuffle this with Jeff. <laughs> Everything with Jeff's opinion now. <laughs> well, I also. Account.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to don't want to come in and blow up your list, but maybe that's the the Tasmanian devil you guys have been needing. That's exactly. the fun we need, brother. I love it. <laughs> Beautiful, excellent.
0: Uh, let's move on to
2: you feeling lucky. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you,
0: punk? And uh, this week, I believe Jeff provided something for us. What do you got for us?
2: Yeah, so kind of in the spirit of twisty, turny movies, um, I kind of went down a path where I kind of thought it would be fun if we um, kind of go through some movies. I have a list of uh, almost 10 where... kind of put a twist on the end of the movie. So I have one that was a real proposed alternate ending and two that are fake alternate endings that I came up with. And you have to guess which one was the real considered ending. I love that. That's awesome. Before I get started, I want to give the listener a chance to fast forward. There will be spoilers for I Am Legend, The Butterfly Effect, The Lion King, Alien, The Shining, Amazing Spider-Man 2, first blood aka the first rambo movie mm-hmm. and et
0: not amazing spider-man 2 colon first blood <laughs> which is what i thought you were doing that
1: was the proposed ending
2: <laughs> okay so i'm gonna go through these i'm gonna give you the re- like the theatrical ending and then i'm gonna give you kind of a two truths or i guess two lies in a truth style where I'll read i love off this and then you guys can kind of work together to tell me which thing is the real one i love okay. it and some of these were storyboarded some of them were shot some of them were scripted like Some of these different stages, but some of these were more just kind of general ideas, but this is awesome. Anyway, I am legend. um, Theatrical ending was that the, the vampires kind of invade Will Smith's house and he suicide bombs them and sacrifices himself to save Anna and Ethan. Mm -hmm. And so the three alternate endings are in this alternate ending, the audience discovers that they have been misled as to the nature of the vampire monsters and that they're actually sentient civilized creatures. The twist is that instead of being a plucky survival Survivors struggling to find a cure, Robert has been brutally murdering sentient creatures, making him the accidental villain of the story.
1: Ooh, okay.
2: Second. In this alternate ending, just as Neville is about to sacrifice himself with the grenade, a group of survivors arrive, revealing that they have found a cure and have been tracking him. They manage to extract him and his family before the explosion, and they all escape to safety. Mm. And then finally, in this alternate ending, Neville manages to find a way to communicate with the Dark Seekers, aka the vampire monsters, and discovers that they are not seeking a cure, but vengeance for the experiments he conducted on their kind. Realizing the error of his ways, Neville offers himself as a sacrifice to atone for his sins, and the Dark Seekers accept his sacrificing as sacrifice, sparing Anna and Ethan in the process.
0: First of all, I want to say, the ones that you made up are good. Like, all of these are, like, like competent ending so like you did a good job here Appreciate it. um is it the first one carter what are you thinking
1: um so i only know the drama behind this because they're making an i am legend like a sequel, sequel right and yeah the, and the ending they that's not in the theatrical cut is it's canon like the, to the, canon sequel. To the sequel so goofy but is it the first one um i think that would
0: I think it's the first one. I feel like I read something about that at one point. That's what I'm going to lock in. I'll go I'll go better? with you
1: then. I just know that there's the weird stuff about the sequel that the canon ending is not. The it's super weird. The, the, yeah, the but we'll go with that. You guys are correct. That is the, the
2: real one where he they find out that. Yeah, Will Smith has kind of been the villain the whole time. It's pretty but sad. It is sad. That's a sad movie. Um, I've, I've kind of never a bummer. Seen. It's a
0: bummer, yeah. but it's pretty good.
2: I heard. Doesn't that kind of ha- doesn't that one have like an all time dog dies
1: moment? He yes.
0: strangles his dog. It's, it's while really singing sad. Bob Marley. It's to them. so sad. It's,
1: it's brutal. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> check it out.
2: <laughs> all right, Butterfly Effect. This is the the theatrical ending. Is that Ashton Kutcher realizes that his attempts to fix the past have only led to more suffering and chaos. Mm-hmm. He decides that the only way to prevent further harm is to go back to the very beginning and ensure that he and his childhood Kaylee ne- friend Kaylee never meet. Um, so some alternate endings and this alternate ending, Evan, AKA Ashton Kutcher successfully prevents himself from meeting Kaylee, but discovers that fate has other plans. Despite their paths never crossing, Evan and Kaylee still face similar hardships and tragedies in their life. Evan realizes that some of the events are beyond his control and true happiness comes from accepting life's challenges and finding strengths and overcoming them. Oh, In this alternate ending, Evan successfully prevents himself from meeting Kaylee, leading to a drastically different life for both of them. However, Evan soon discovers that without Kaylee's presence in his life, he lacks the motivation and inspiration to fulfill his potential. Despite achieving success in his career, Evan feels empty and unfulfilled. Mm. Kind of realizing all this, that the film ends with Evan and Kaylee embracing their fate, determining to face life's challenges together and forge a brighter future. Ooh. And then one last one. In this alternate ending, Evan, consumed by the guilt and realization of the chaos his time-traveling abilities have caused, he decides that the only way to prevent future harm is to erase himself from existence entirely. As a last desperate attempt to end the cycle of suffering, Evan travels back in time when he was just a baby. In an emotion in a gut-wrenching and an emotionally intense moment, Evan strangles himself as an infant.
1: Holy no cow way. No first of all shot.
0: If you did if if that one's fake, get this man to a writing room stat, because I would watch that.
1: <laughs> it's um, the old kill baby Hitler theory. Yeah. Um I don't want the, that the one first... to be to be real. Well, the first two fun. are pretty like positive yeah and this one is just not <laughs> so i kind of like yeah i think the third one could be just it's too crazy so bad shit
2: that it's i true. love it yeah
0: is it i'm gonna lock in number three let's do it
2: that is the real and that's, an, that's ins- insane and i that love was, that was that one was shot and he to get super dark but he literally strangles the infant
1: with its umbilical cord oh feeling. my god <laughs> now i've never seen butterfly effect but now i want to yeah that's wild <laughs> oh my that's bad sorry no, about that. hey man a a, you gave the spoiler warning i was ready it's true
2: okay lion king um theatrical and um, so would you guys prefer that i like summarize these a little bit more i feel like my ex- explanations are kind of longer are you guys sure, do
1: what me? you want do what you want man you're gay
2: Theatrical ending, after discovering that Scar's irresponsible management of Pride Rock has somehow caused apocalyptic climate change, Simba throws him off <laughs> the cliff to be eaten by hyenas. Um, That's awesome. That's that summary <laughs> written by me. Um, I can tell. <laughs> alternate endings, in this alternate ending, Scar and Simba battle in the flames atop Pride Rock. Scar tricks and defeats Simba, throwing him off the rock. Scar is then consumed by the flames while he laughs hysterically and we see him burned to death. Jesus. In this alternate ending, Scar has a change of heart after witnessing the devastation caused by his actions. Instead of battling Simba at Pride Rock, Scar confesses his wrongdoing and begs for forgiveness. And Simba, moved by Scar's remorse, decides to spare him and offer him a chance to redeem himself. Mm. In this alternate ending, instead of Simba reclaiming his throne, an unexpected character emerges as the rightful heir to the Pride Lands. There were a series of unforeseen events. Fiki reveals that another character has fulfilled the prophecy of the newborn King and Pumbaa is revealed to be the true King.
0: Awesome. That's hilarious. Uh, the first one sounds pretty believable to me.
1: The second one feels like some Disney bullshit,
0: but like, and the true like Macbeth, like, cause that's what this is. Hamlet. Right? Or a it Hamlet? Hamlet? Hamlet. Hamlet. Um, the, that, the first one feels pretty Shakespearean in,
2: in that sense, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think I want to lock in one.
2: Let's lock in one. You're right on. You're three for three. A real one, Simba, I think in that one, actually is alive. He's like hanging on by a rock. Yeah. Right? You you see Scar get burned to death. That's, did they, did they shoot
1: that one on set that day? Did they get <laughs> yeah. that one?
2: Yeah, John Favreau got that one. <laughs> 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 All right, Alien... The real ending in the final showdown, Ripley manages to strap herself into a chair and uses a combination of quick thinking and resourcefulness to eject the creature into the vacuum of space through the shuttle's airlock. Mm -hmm. Um, Alternate endings. In this alternate ending, Ripley realizes that the only way to ensure the xenomorph's destruction is to sacrifice herself. She lures the creature into an airlock and engages in its final confrontation. With the xenomorph distracted, Ripley activates the airlock, sucking both herself and the creature into the vacuum of space.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: In this alternate ending, in Ripley's final encounter with the Xenomorph, she she harpoons it to no effect. And the xenomorph overwhelms Ripley and breaks through the mask of her spacesuit, tears off her head, and mimics Dallas, saying, I'm signing off on the ship's radio. Whoa, that okay. Cool. In this alternate ending, it's revealed that Ash, the ship's synthetic officer, has been secretly working to control the xenomorph for his own agenda. As the xenomorph attacks the crew, Ripley discovers Ash's treachery and confronts him, and to her surprise, he reveals that he has developed a way to control the Xenomorph and plans to use it as a weapon.
0: Hmm. Well, I don't feel like, I
1: don't feel like it's the, I don't feel like it's that one. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of happens in Prometheus, doesn't it? Isn't did Michael Fassbender like kind of. Oh, is that what his deal
0: is? I haven't seen Prometheus. Well, he's I've not really like seen evil, alien
1: but aliens. he's like for the sake of science. Yeah. Um, okay.
0: So Maybe that's a trick one. Maybe that's one from Prometheus that Jeff tried to throw it.
1: I don't think the second one, unless because it's not ever established in the movie. That, that they can like, mimic that stuff? That the xenomorph can mimic. That would be maybe, awesome, though. That would be really that's cool. That's some script BS. I don't know. I'm inclined to say one.
0: Self-sacrifice.
1: But also, but then, like, how do you make aliens? Maybe that's Well, maybe why that's why they stuff. threw it out, yeah. Maybe one? You want to say one? Let's do one. Let's do okay. one.
2: We'll go one. It's the second one, it's really.
1: The, the xenomorph oh. rips off Rip's off Ridley's head. Now that's some canon that's that I could. Way different, yeah. It's like what a twist at the end of a movie. I, yeah, I'm no kind of not fully against that,
0: but, but it can mimic voices
1: too. That's so goofy. Supposedly, I love yeah. it. I love the goofiness. Interesting. Great stuff.
0: I like the, the your first one was really really convincing. I like that. I
1: love well, it all.
2: Hire me you're good um we did the shining (laughs) the real ending for the shining in a final confrontation jack corners wendy and danny in a hedge maze outside the hotel just as it seems as all hope is lost danny manages to escape while wendy frantically fights off jack Mm -hmm. in a desperate bid to survive wendy strikes jack with a baseball bat causing him to stumble backward and fall into the snow and they escape in a snowcat leaving the desolate and haunted overlook hotel behind as it burns in the distance Yes. Um, Alternate endings. In this alternate ending, the final confrontation between Jack and his family occurs in the hotel's boiler room. Jack's consciousness momentarily reasserts itself, allowing him to overcome the hotel's influence long enough to tell Danny to run before he sacrifices himself by destroying the boiler, causing the hotel to explode. Danny and Wendy escape the explosion and the evil presence of the Overlook Hotel is vanquished. Mm -hmm. In this alternate ending, Danny and Wendy recover from their injuries in the hospital, where they're visited by Overlook manager Stuart Ullman, who says they found no evidence of supernatural activity at the hotel. And the, the movie ends with him handing Danny the yellow ball that Jack played with throughout the film. Ooh. Ooh. In this alternate ending, as Wendy and Danny attempt to flee to Overlook Hotel, they suddenly find themselves transported back to the beginning of their ordeal. They realize they are trapped in a time loop, forced to relive relive the events of their stay at the hotel over and over again. Whoa. That's cool
0: too. Um so here's I, my thought. Yeah. Whenever me. whenever I did research for the shining, the boiler is like the boiler room is like obviously like a very big part of the book and yeah. of the of the mini-series mm-hmm. that they adapted that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was never touched on in the movie. So I'm trying to figure out if this is a red herring that Jeff is throwing out that was like not used because the second one also sounds kind of possible I could see that one happening
1: yeah I feel like I'm even though if Jeff fooled us and is really smart I'm still leaning towards one okay let's um, let's go one let's just do because I feel like they would have filmed it and then Kubrick probably learned that Stephen King liked it and he was like ah, I'll take that out we're making my movie
0: what is it
2: so this one was a trick one because ah. the first one that you guys voted for is the ending to the book yeah. But it's not the alternate ending to the movie. I knew it. Ugh, the I alternate ending to the movie is them in the hospital and the and the manager. I showed that in T. So Jackson. I was exactly right, is what you're saying. Wow.
1: <laughs> wow. That's rarely happened Yeah, Oof, That's true. <laughs>
2: okay. This is a Jackson special. I expect him to nail this one. Mm. Um Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um in the real. Real ending, in the ending of Amazing Spider-Man 2, Peter Parker, devastated by the death of Gwen Stacy, reflects on her memory and the responsibility that comes with being Spider-Man. He decides to honor Gwen's memory by continuing to protect the city from its threats. Um, Alternate ending, in this alternate ending, as Spider-Man mourns Gwen's death, a group of villains, including the Green Goblin, Rhino, and Electro unite to form the Sinister Six. They launch a devastating attack on New York City, leaving Spider-Man overwhelmed and outnumbered. Just as he about as, is about to fight them in the streets, the movie ends. A mm-hmm. post-credit shows Gwen recovering in a mysterious location, and you see a glimpse of the Spider-Gwen suit on her desk. Whoa. In this alternate <laughs> ending, after, Spider Gwen, after Gwen Stacy's tragic death, Peter Parker is visited by his father, Richard Parker. Richard, who had died earlier in the film series, returns to comfort his grieving son and reassures Peter that Gwen's death was not his fault and encourages him to continue fighting for what's right.
1: This is all uh, you, Jackson. What do you think? Okay. Oh, there's one more. There's one oh. more.
2: Oh, oh. I'm sorry. In this alternate ending, Gwen's death inspires a new generation of heroes to rise up and carry on her legacy. Peter Parker retires from being Spider-Man, leaving the mantle to a new heroine inspired or a new hero inspired by Gwen's courage and determination. Among those young heroes is a man, is a young man who is seen gravely watching the funeral of Gwen Stacy on a grainy TV, and from the other room, he hears his mom call, D- "Miles, dinner is ready."
0: Hmm. Okay. So which one was the the Spider-Gwen reference? Is that from the first one? Is that yeah, a part of the first like, one? Yeah. Okay. I don't think Sony had any idea of like the IP potential for Spider-Gwen. So I feel like that's not one of them. I also think Sony is too stupid to do a Miles Morales thing cuz they should cuz he's an awesome character and is like super successful um in basically every medium that he's been introduced except for comics weirdly but now he's good i think um i think it's the one where his dad shows up and like confronts him cuz i feel like i saw a deleted scene or something with that but i could be wrong
1: it's, i'm i'm totally leaving it up to you okay um, i'm
0: going to say i'm going to say the one where his dad shows up is the true alternate ending
1: you're 100% right Let's Yep, go. it's
2: the one that's my boy and it, and it was filmed yeah they i don't yeah, know if like I, I watched it, it.
1: It's the guy. So
0: he's so he was he's in like the beginning shots and he's in like the first one too. Um, it's like like camera footage and like them on the plane before the plane goes down. It's really shitty stuff. Like it doesn't need to be in the Mm -hmm. movie, but he's like already in in the canon or whatever. So like we know what he looks like and stuff.
2: Gotcha. But you guys are on a roll.
0: Yeah, let's go. All right, two more,
2: two more. One. So first one is First Blood, First Rambo, real ending. Cornered by the authorities, um, Rambo, overwhelmed by the memories of his traumatic past, breaks down and surrenders to his former commanding officer, um, Colonel Troutman. Troutman, Troutman, understanding the depths of Rambo's suffering, convinces him to lay down his weapons and end the cycle of violence. Mm -hmm. Alternate ending. In this alternate ending, Colonel Troutman reveals that he was once in Rambo's shoes during the Vietnam War and understands the demons that haunt him. Instead of arresting Rambo, Troutman offers him a chance at redemption by enlisting in a special program aimed at at helping veterans reintegrate into society. The film ends with Rambo embracing this opportunity and embarking on a journey of healing and self-discovery. In this alternate ending, it's revealed that Rambo's actions were a part of a larger government conspiracy aimed at testing the limit of human endurance and combat readiness. Rambo, manipulated by shadowy government operatives, was set up from the beginning to fail. The film ends with Rambo over uncovering the truth behind the conspiracy and vowing to expose the corruption and lies that led to his plight, setting mm. the stage for a potential sequel. Okay. In this alternate ending, after John Rambo had been pushed to the limits, to his limits and, and faces off against the authorities, Colonel including Colonel Troutman, in a final confrontation he refuses to surrender. Instead, Rambo takes his own life, choosing death over captivity and further torment emphasizing the psychological toll of war and the challenges faced by returning veterans. Ooh. Oh,
1: okay.
0: The third one seems kind of more from what I understand Rambo to be. That one seems like,
1: yeah. Closer I've seen, to that. Yeah. I've seen first blood. Um, like a pretty big anti Vietnam movie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll roll with three. Um, the first one feels too sympathetic. Yeah, it like, um, seems
0: like too happy of an ending.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's not what the movie was going for, but uh, who knows? Uh, we'll go with the third one. Right again.
2: Yeah, Let's go! I think it, as originally scripted, that he would uh, sacrifice himself instead of turn himself in. I like that. Um. Yeah, I think that fits. I actually just Googled on the side if it came out in the 70s, but it didn't come out in the early 80, 80s. 82. Yeah, it kind of have that 70s yeah. deer-hunter vibe to it. Yeah. I felt like the other two endings kind of felt more like in line with has Rambo like what it becomes. Yeah, yeah. It
1: becomes something uh, pretty wild. Have you seen First Blood Jax? Nope. I haven't seen
0: any Rambo movies, but I, I should maybe do that.
1: First Blood's good. Um, Blood, and it, it
2: is good. Is that the first one different. or is that
0: I guess that's the first one? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Before he becomes action porn, it's actually pretty grounded. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Interesting. Anyway, final one is ET. In the real ending, in the ending of E.T., um, E.T. the friendly alien who befriended young Elliot bids a tearful farewell to his human friend as he prepares to return home, return to his home planet. As the spaceship takes off in the night sky, Elliot watches with a mixture of sadness and wonder, knowing that he and E.T. will always share a special connection, no matter the distance. Oh, yeah. Alternate endings. In this alternate ending, after E.T. has returned home aboard his ship, We see Elliot playing Dungeons and Dragons with his friends, only this time Elliot is the Dungeon Master, having finally been accepted into his group of friends. Just as the score begins to swell, showing all is well, the camera pans up through the house and onto the roof, where we see a working communicator satellite implicating that Elliot is still in contact with E.T. I like that one.
0: That sounds pretty fun.
2: In this alternate ending, E.T. invites Elliot to join him on an interstellar adventure (laughs) aboard his spaceship. Elliot accepts, sad to leave his world behind, but grateful to be with his one true friend. The film concludes <laughs> that their spaceship blasting off into the cosmos, leaving Earth behind for an epic journey through the stars. Mm-hmm. And then finally, in this alternate ending, it's revealed that E.T. is not just an ordinary extraterrestrial, but a member of an ancient and powerful alien royal family. In the midst of the escalating Cold War in which international superpowers were simultaneously innovating both space travel and nuclear weapons, E.T. was sent to Earth to determine if it posed a threat to his people. Having seen through Elliot that humanity is inherently good, albeit flawed, he goes home to petition that Earth be spared.
1: Um, Whoa!
0: These are all really fun. The Uh,
1: third one doesn't feel like wholesome Spielberg family content. It feels, it feels like, like some, George Lucas. I
0: was just going to say that feels like a George Lucas thing. It feels like uh, the,
1: the origin story of the ETs we see in Phantom Which
0: Menace. makes me think that Jeff wrote that one. Yeah. Uh, the first one admittedly feels a little like Stranger Things inspired, but... But it
1: I also really feels l- like something Spielberg would do. I
0: also really like it. If that's If that's the one, I think that's a really fun ending.
1: I feel like Spielberg wouldn't do the second one. Because it's all about the connection that they have and it'll stick with him forever. And it Yeah, I think it undercuts the, the message. I'm going to go with I f- one. I think, I think right?
0: one. Let's go with one.
2: Yeah. You guys are right. Yep. Yeah, it was scripted that he would... Uh, the implication of the final shot would be that he was still in contact with E.T., but I guess as they were cutting it and add the score um, and you just kind of had that moment of the send-off, he's like, how, how do you mess with this? It's yeah. too perfect.
0: John yeah, Williams
1: saved E.T. Good for him.
0: I do like that ending, though. That's pretty fun. Uh, I was I was expecting you to throw in that, like, uh, E.T. ride at Universal, where they, like, go to his home. <laughs> with flight. all
1: the, yeah. yeah. That's the proposed E.T. sequel.
0: I, I love that ride. It's ridiculous. Is it still
1: there? I haven't been to Universal in decades. I hope decades. So. It was there in 2020, oh, last good. time I was there. It was funny. Great game, Jeff. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. How many do we get with oh. nine? Uh... All the...
0: Basically, except for the one that... Well, the xenomorph one got us, the alien one. And the
1: one but where I swayed you. The Alien and the shiny. Yeah. <laughs> so, <gasps> Jax had nine, I had eight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Love it.
1: Yeah, Incredible. It Good stuff. Nice. With that, we We're did done. it. woo um, This is our first official episode with Jeff as the official third chair. So, Woo-hoo! welcome, Jeff. Uh, thanks for joining. So, I don't mm-hmm. have to thank you for joining ever again. Now. Yeah, you're just, you're just here now. You're just here. You're just, here. You're just part of the fold. Um, it's great. It's good stuff. No longer a guest. This went no from home. a waffle house to a waffle home. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Next week uh we're gonna tackle uh, Dune. Dune part two, and yeah, whoever has seen the movie will be here on the podcast. Exciting. So, that's your homework. Um yeah, I'm gonna rewatch Dune and that'll be fun. Amazing. Jackson, TikTok, Instagram, where?
0: At refka underscore. Pod Carter, we they follow us on Twitter
1: at RoughCut underscore Co. Shout out Film Yap, thanks Thank for you listening Film to Yap. us. Follow us on Spotify and listen to us there or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back with some Dune action in March. Woohoo! Thanks Woo. everybody.
2: In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.